First You Think is a not-for-profit ministry of the First Unitarian Church of Des Moines. Support us at ucdsm.org today. At the annual meeting of this church in 2021, the congregation selected Just Voices as a Faith in Action partner. Over the course of the 12 months that started in September of 2021, you provided over $7,500 to our mission and our vision. A vision that demands a society free from racial oppression. And our mission is to build a platform that educates, advocates, and collaborates in order to end racially biased policing in Iowa. And over the past three years since its creation as a nonprofit organization, Just Voices has acted on that vision by building a website and social media platforms that carry out our mission. And in order to make that mission actionable, we've focused our work on the Des Moines Police Department and joined with others in the activist community in demanding transformative changes in the department that will end to the proven racial bias in the operations of that department. This service is my way of saying thank you and of expressing my gratitude for your support in our work and for the larger movement <clears throat> Excuse me. to deconstruct the oppressive carceral criminal justice system in Des Moines and around the United States. A movement that has, as many of you who've been here before and listened to me, has become uh, my calling in retirement. And because this is a Sunday service in my church, I wanted to unpack the idea of gratitude and place it in a context of our Unitarian Universalist faith. So let's start. Gratitude is held out to be a virtue that Galen Gingrich, as you heard, describes as a uniquely religious virtue. He frames it this way. Unless our faith is a mere intellectual affectation, the defining element of our faith must be a daily practice of gratitude. Why gratitude? The discipline of gratitude reminds us of how utterly dependent we are on the people and the world around us for everything that matters. From this flows an ethic of gratitude that obligates us to create a future that justifies an increase in the sense of gratitude from the human family as a whole. The ethic of gratitude demands that we nurture the world that nurtures us in return. It is our duty to foster the kind of environment that we want to take in and therefore become. The two forms, Gingrich says, that gratitude takes in our lives, a discipline and an ethic, are natural outcomes of the two elements of religious experience, awe and obligation. And the experience of obligation leads us to an ethic of gratitude. So, wow, what has this meant for me? Well, first off, I'm going to take a step back and let you know that I can think of it in this way. My parents both grew up on farms, one in Missouri, one in Iowa. I grew up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, about 15 miles away from the farm that my mother had grown up on and which she joyfully left at the age of 16. 
Thanksgiving was the major holiday for my extended family. It was the celebration of the harvest. My maternal grandparents, my aunts and uncles and cousins and spouses, you'll recall there were no partners back then, would gather at grandma's house and there would be tables full of good, hearty, fattening Iowa country food. No one left hungry unless they chose to do that. It was the annual celebration of the harvest of who we were and everyone came. More to the point, my memories of these gatherings all the way into adulthood are entirely positive. My extended farm family had a practice of gathering together as a family every year at harvest time. And this practice helped define who we were, who we are, and it helped shape who I am. It wasn't until many, many years later into adulthood that I learned about how many of the underlying internal conflicts there were within my family. I had two aunts who had played high school basketball against other, for heaven's sakes, and they still carried the emotional wounds from some of those games. I found out that my aunt always from the time she was born and apparently was conscious of it, had conflicts with my mother and my mother returned the favor. And I came to understand that my uncle, who was the primary person operating the farm, carried within him a kind of sadness of the fact that he had never been able to go to college because his dad had died and he was at an age where he had to take over the family farm. And of course, there was much more than that that simply never happened or came up during all of those childhood gatherings that I can remember with such fondness. We as a family had a practice of gathering on each Thanksgiving in gratitude for the bounty of the land and for our extended family. And for that day and the few hours that we were together, we were kind to one another. I am reminded of that tradition, this practice, and the disciplines that are related to it. Each Thanksgiving, as my family and now Ellen's gather to spend a couple of days together each year, we eat lots of really good food, uh, most of it not the kind of traditional German dish that we ate during those times of harvest. We now have a major dish of lasagna, which is wonderful. We eat lots of really good food. We catch up with each other and how lives are going and we play games. It is a lifetime practice that brings me joy every year. I'm grateful for it every year. Reverend Gingrich goes on to describe awe as a part of the religious principle of gratitude in the following way. <clears throat> It is through gratitude that we remember both our identity and our duty, like me remembering those thanksgivings over my lifetime. Unlike freedom, gratitude is a uniquely religious virtue. It is a sense of awe and a sense of obligation. The feeling of awe emerges from the experiences of the grandeur of life and the mystery of the divine we happen upon a sense of inexpressible exhilaration of being alive and a sense of utter dependence upon sources 
<coughs> excuse me, of being beyond ourselves. This sense of all awe and dependence should engender in us a discipline of gratitude, which constantly acknowledges that our present experience depends upon the sources that make it possible. I am blessed regularly with the experience of awe. I'm hoping that you're seeing a picture that I downloaded from the James Webb uh, satellite at this point, and that it's been up more than one time. I can't help but look at those pictures and uh, start to reflect upon what that means in terms of looking out millions and millions of years uh, back into time and the absolute beauty of those pictures that that satellite is generating a million miles sitting away from Earth. And on a personal level, I've been in the Andes Mountains in Peru, standing at the east gate of Machu Picchu at sunrise, watching the rising sun as it spread light over the Incan ruins and actually bring them alive. I've stood on the shore of the big island of Hawaii at sunset, watching lava flow out of the volcanic tubes in a brilliant red-orange stream as it poured over the cliff into the ocean, sending up endless clouds of steam. I've camped in the pristine and primitive glory of the Boundary Waters Wilderness Canoe Area, a place that I always went to in the summer times, which kind of renewed my soul. As the northern lights danced across the sky, as if some massive universal pipe organ, or maybe Bruce at the piano, was generating the silent ballet that was playing out above me in the sky and having tears flow down my face at the beauty of it. I've been snorkeling in the Sea of Cortez, mm -hmm. underwater, wishing I could hold my breath longer as the juvenile sea lions swam with graceful ease around me and my companions, and seeming to invite us to want to play with them, and wishing that I actually could. And would you put up the last picture with Ben? Is it up? Great. And this last summer, I sat on a big rock beside my grandson, Ben, looking out at a glacial lake, Moraine Lake in Canada, in the Canadian Rockies, a lake that is so stunningly beautiful in its turquoise color that it almost seems unreal. It is so lovely that it takes my breath away, even in memory and even in looking at it in a picture. In other words, I experience the world that we live in in ways that move me deeply and inspire, inspire awe, awe and wonder, and joy, and gratitude. Over the past nine years, as I have participated in creating programs like Let's Talk, which is a Faith in Action partner this year, the School Mediation Project or Conflict Resolution Project, Just Voices, which is, of course, part of the Racial Profiling Project, and others like it that are all designed to dismantle the cradle-to-prison pipeline for blacks, I have evolved in how I experience gratitude. If you've attended this church for a few years, you've heard me talk about the details of this before. This evolution has come from a clear and growing understanding of the lived reality of the oppression endured by people of color in our country flowing from our original sin of slavery, an oppression that has been supported and maintained brutally to this day by the dominant white power structure in our country. 
And in this time, I've been transformed in ways that I could not possibly imagine in 2011 when I retired from my law practice. And it is the transformation that I want to leave you with in this service. Recall that Gingrich describes gratitude as a religious virtue. This is more of what he has said about it. There are many potential defining religious virtues from which to choose. The role of religion, in my view, is to help find our place as human beings within this universe we call home. You may remember that the word religion does not mean to liberate, to set free, but rather it means to bind together. Religion unites the meaning of our lives as human beings with the meaning that pervades the universe. Religion unites the spirit of humanity with the spirit that keeps the stars shining, the planets spinning, the flowers blooming in the springtime. Gingrich says, I believe that gratitude is the appropriate religious response to the nature of the universe. And I am touched by this and agree with it. I'm deeply moved each time I look at the photograph of my grandson, Ben, and I sitting on the rocks looking out over that Canadian glacial lake. I'm hopeful that when I die, my answers to the questions that are posed by Mary Oliver in her moving poem titled Gratitude reflect the same connection to this world that she describes so beautifully. Mm -hmm. I was delighted to hear Brene Brown connect a regular practice of gratitude to a life that contains joy. And the connection that she and Reverend Gingrich make helps explain how I feel about the work that I am doing in retirement. I'm grateful for finding a calling at this stage of my life where I experience the feeling of getting into good trouble with people that I have come to care about deeply. I don't have any illusions, I think, that our work will, quote, redeem the soul of America, close quote, but I do know that the deep, loving relationships that I have become a part of and which have become a part of my life over the past nine years, relationships that have been built across, around, and through the artificial lines of race, gender, class, and faith have brought gratitude and joy together in my life at a level different from anything that I have previously experienced. It's not the delightful joy of childhood with that wonderful list that Barb sang and talked to us about earlier, nor is it the joy and the gratitude from, that comes with that wondrous sense of awe at all of the things in nature that I described and which I love so deeply, but it is a joy deep within from, that comes from, whoa, from the feeling of being a part of the work that John, it's okay. We almost made it through. <laughs> it's not the delightful joy of childhood, as I said, but it's a joy that is deep within that comes from the feeling of being part of the work that John Lewis calls us to when he told us all to speak up, speak out, get in the way, get in good trouble, necessary trouble, and help redeem the soul of America. For all this and your help in staying on this path, I am grateful.